0: This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Endeavor Silver Corp 2020 fourth quarter and year end financial results conference call. As a reminder, all participants are in listen only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to Galina Meliger, Director of Investor Relations for opening remarks. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you, Operator. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Endeavor Silver 2020 fourth quarter and year-end financial results conference call. With me on the line today, we have the company's Chief Executive Officer, Bradford Cook, our Chief Financial Officer, Dan Dixon, and our Chief Operating Officer, Don Gray. Before we get started, I'm required to remind you that certain statements on today's call will contain forward-looking information within the meaning of applicable securities laws. These may include statements regarding endeavors anticipated performance in 20 and 21, and future years, including (coughs) revenue and cost figures, silver and gold production, grades and recoveries, and the timing and expenditures required to develop new silver mines in mineralized zones. We do not intend to and do not assume any obligation to update such forward-looking information other than as required by applicable law. On behalf of Endeavor Silver, I'd like to thank you again for joining our call, and I will now turn it over to our CEO, Bradford Cooks.
2: Thank you very much, Galina, and welcome everybody to this year-end financials call for Endeavor Silver. Um, Maybe I'll just start with some highlights. Uh, 2020 turned into uh, a very challenging year with the COVID pandemic, but ultimately uh, was one of our most satisfying years as our operational group really came through in the crunch. Um, We drove our costs down and coupled with higher metal prices that drove significantly higher revenues, higher cash flow, higher earnings. Um, we turned positive in terms of earnings for the first time in three years. And uh, notwithstanding the government-mandated two-month suspension of mining operations throughout Mexico, we were not only able to um, meet our uh, 2020 original production guidance, we delivered higher production and lower costs at each of the three operating mines. Uh, perhaps last but not least in terms of high-level uh, comments, uh, we obviously continue to focus on safety as our number one priority, and uh, for the second year in a row, Guana our largest mine, posted uh, more than a million hours worked without a lost time accident. So um, kudos to again to our operations team. Let me touch on some numbers in today's news release, and then we'll open it up for Q&A. So, As I mentioned, a very good year in 2020, and we've certainly finished the year with a bang. Fourth quarter sales were $61 million, up 81% year-on-year. Cash flow was $22 million, up from negative $8 million a year ago. Uh, And net income was almost $20 million, or $0.13 a share, up from a net loss of $18 million a year ago. Moving to the full year highlights, uh, we posted $140 million of revenue, up 15%. <clears throat> Cash flow of $29 million before uh, working capital changes up from $9 million and uh, net income of $1.2 million up from a net loss of $48 million in 2019. Um, our production was solid at uh, 6.5 million ounces of silver and equivalents, the only equivalent being gold. That was actually down uh, 9% from the prior year due to the closure of a now non-core uh, operation, the El Cubo mine. Cash costs at 555 per ounce of silver net of the gold credits was down 57 percent, so a significant reduction in cash operating costs. And the all-in sustaining costs were $1,759 per ounce uh, net of the gold credit down 17 percent year-on-year. We finished the year with a very strong balance sheet, <clears throat> 61 million cash, 70 million working capital, And just a reminder that we started 2020 with 23 million cash. So it was a heck of a year for adding cash to the balance sheet. So those are the financial highlights from today's news release. I think, Operator, why don't we open this up now for Q&A?
0: Certainly. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then two. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue.
1: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery
0: brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. The first question comes from Jake Sikelski with Alliance Global Partners. Please go ahead.
3: Hey, Brad and team. Congrats on the strong fourth quarter, and thanks for taking my questions.
2: Yeah, thanks, Jake.
3: Just two uh, two quick questions on Terra Nera. Um, can you just provide us some color around the timing of the feasibility? I, I guess, are you seeing any delays in the timeline due to the pandemic? I, I know some of your peers have been seeing extended turnaround times on studies and, and whatnot. So I'm just curious how confident you are um, in the timeline for that.
2: Uh, We're still reasonably confident. We had our uh, quarterly management meetings last week, and the report from our director of project development was that we're almost bang on 50% complete, the feasibility study. Wood is the uh, engineering consultant conducting the study on our behalf, but uh, our director of uh, project development is very active, obviously, in the whole process. Uh, We are targeting uh, a mid-summer, receipt of the full uh, feasibility study, and that would allow us to go to the board for a development decision thereafter.
3: That's, that's good to hear. Um, and then just switching gears to exploration, in the release you touched on some Greensfield exploration at the new concessions at Terra I'm just, I'm just curious, what's the budget for that, and, and how much of a priority is, is that relative to exploration across the rest of the portfolio?
2: So our uh, Terranera budget this year for drilling, uh, mostly uh, untested veins on this very large property, is two million dollars, and we're focusing in two main areas this year. The southeast extension of the uh, the main uh, reserve in the Terranera vein is still open to the southeast, and we're testing an area uh, about a kilometer uh, further south along the same vein structure. It does. Um, splay into two or three different parallel veins at that uh, point and um, we've had some encouraging results so far. The other one is uh, on one of the newly acquired properties to the west of our original holdings at Terranera and uh, it's a big vein, Uh, it's called uh, Los Cuatos and uh, so big as in up to 30 meters thick and we've traced it for three kilometers Um, and we've just started. Uh, testing uh, various portions of uh, that vein system so early days yet but we are hopeful that uh, coming out of this year we'll have not only a new discovery but some new resources at Terranera
3: okay got it that's helpful uh, That's all from Ian. thanks again guys
0: the next question comes from Heiko Eiley with HC Wainwright please go ahead
4: Hey, Brad, thanks for taking my questions. Hey, good morning. Hey, Hey, your firm recently exceeded a billion in market cap. Uh, congratulations. Has this done anything to your investor base? And on that same note, have you seen people interested uh, that are able to purchase shares that previously weren't allowed to do so and have the whole thing feed on itself a little bit? Have you seen anything like that? Have you gotten phone calls from people you've... Never really heard of before funds that have you know mandates like a uh, market cap minimum?
2: Uh, absolutely, Heiko. Um, I don't know if we're seeing it yet, but uh, in the coming uh, 12 days, uh, Endeavor is certainly under review to be added to not one, but two indices. Um, we're uh, certainly qualify or appear to qualify for the GDX inclusion. In the GDX index. We're currently on the GDXJ, uh, but we're also in line uh, and could possibly qualify for the S&P TSX 500 index. Both um, indices that actually do their additions in the, I think the third week of March, so it's coming up here pretty quick. And we're hopeful that, given our our uh, billion dollar market cap, U.S., uh, that we do qualify uh, to meet these two new indices, which is not just index buying, but a number of investors, institutional investors who only buy index stocks. So uh, it could open the door for more institutional involvement.
4: Very helpful. Thank you. Uh, Shifting gears quite a bit. I was going through your uh, 12.8 million in net deferred income taxes uh, on page 39 of the financial statements. The figure includes $18.4 of tax-loss carry-forwards. Are there expiration timelines for for these assets? And if so, what's the timeline? And also, we're now in March, albeit March 1st. Have you managed to recover anything of this uh, some year-to-date?
5: Yeah, Heiko, good question. Way to get into the depth of those financials. Note 26 or 36. in that note, we actually show the exp- expiration dates of our lost carry forwards. Uh, we are recognizing an asset related to those temporary differences, I believe nine million at Guana and three million at Bolonitos. The timeline to actually chew through those lost carry forwards is about 16 months for Guana and less for for uh, Bolonitos that should be in 2021, so less than 12 months. Um, Q1's continued. Wait, am I understand software.
4: you Am I understanding you correctly that some of these are expiring this year? With, no. With, sorry, you, you're, a, looking at, you're looking at D, You're looking at D on page 40, correct?
5: Uh I'm not looking at it, but uh I know I'm uh. familiar with the note. So ultimately the expert the typically a loss carry forward lasts for 10 years in Mexico and I think some of them start running out in 2025 for us. Um but we'll use those loss carry forwards <laughs> in 2021, Heiko, uh, just based off the profitability. So the, the regards to your question for what, ha- are we eating some of that up now, it's similar, like our production in Q3 and Q4 show that we're now making profit for tax purposes in Mexico. That's continuing here in Q1. Uh, we put out our guidance for 2021 and we expect to be profitable at these prices, hence using up those lost carry forwards.
4: Got it. Thanks for taking my questions. I'll get back in the uh, queue and uh, stay safe.
5: Okay, thanks, Heiko.
0: The next question comes from Joseph Frieger with Ross Capital Partners. Please go ahead.
3: Morning, guys. Thanks for taking the questions.
2: Yeah, thanks, Joe. So, um,
3: looking at kind of the, the results from the fourth quarter, uh, Guanasevay, you, you Had slightly higher direct costs there. It it seems like part of that was related to the purchasing of ore. Um, Was there any other factors driving, you know, higher, higher costs there? And then, you know, what are your thoughts on purchasing ore going forward?
5: Yeah, Joe. You're you're right. We did purchase more ore. Um, Obviously with higher prices, we're seeing more of the local miners bring uh, third-party ore to to our processing plant, which we're required to process, I believe, up to 10% uh, of local ore just under the terms of when that plant was built. Uh, Another thing that's coming through our cost structure in Q4, and it's going to persist in 2021, is royalties and special mining duties. So, as more profitable in Mexico, we're paying more special mining duties. That goes into our KPI metrics. Uh, and the royalties coming from El Curso, which is a property we acquired in 2019. Uh, we didn't have any upfront capital, but it does have a big royalty on it. Uh, significant of our production is actually coming from El Curso, about 50% for 2021. So that's going to persist through through our, our cost structure going forward.
3: Okay. And then... Um on the tax front, um, I saw some commentary – I can't remember from which government person uh, – but basically that the Mexican government expects less investment in Mexico in the coming years because their tax structure has become more cumbersome and more expensive and that uh, they believe people are going to look to invest in South America instead. Um Do you think that there's any opportunities to see them kind of roll back some of the taxes they added kind of just after the last peak in the gold cycle, Um, or is that, you know, wishful thinking?
5: I think at this time it's wishful thinking based off the current government regime that's there. Uh, You're hearing a lot of rhetoric out of Mexico with regards to how much Mexican mining companies and Canadian mining companies are paying in taxes. The special mining duty was introduced in 2013, plus the uh, environmental duty, which is a 0.5% on gross revenue for precious metal companies. Um, I would guess that none of that's gonna get rolled back during this regime, and quite, quite frankly, it'd be great if taxes got lower in all jurisdictions, but I would think that going forward there, I'd always be conservative and hope that it stays where we're at now and we'll be comfortable with that.
2: And maybe I can give some more color to that. Um, President AMLO did come out last week in a press conference and state uh, no new mining taxes. Um, I, I, I guess we're supposed to take that as good news. Uh, and, um, you know, in the overall scheme of things, the total tax burden in Mexico is around 52%, 53%. So right up there with Canada and uh, some other Countries uh, not exactly the cheapest jurisdiction in the world. Um, they would love to have more investment, but you know, the, Mexico is caught in the middle of this COVID pandemic with a crash in employment, a crash in in um, tax incomes to the government, and um, uh, no uh, financial relief in Mexico for poor people like there is in Canada or the states. So. Um, I think it's steady as she goes in terms of taxes in Mexico.
3: Okay. Um, just continuing on that maybe one other thing just real quick. Um, is that part of the reason the company is, is started to look at South American opportunities? Um, and then, uh, on that note, uh, any update on what to expect from Peral this year?
2: Uh, So, yes, we diversified in recent years our exploration projects. We have three active uh, and world-class prospects in Northern Chile. We really like Chile as a country, Um, and we're looking at other South American jurisdictions as well as North America, Uh, so not just exclusively Mexico. Uh, And then Peral, after a one-year hiatus in terms of exploration drilling, uh, we resumed in January. Uh, drilling our Peral project with a $2 million budget to try and grow the resource base. there. We've basically got two more years to grow the resource base before Peral goes to economic studies and Terranera is up and running. We'd love to have our project development team move straight from Terranera to uh, Peral in 2024.
3: Okay, thanks. I'll turn it over.
0: Next question comes from Craig Hutchison with TD Securities. Please go ahead.
4: Hi, good morning, guys. Thanks for taking the question. Um, just Hi, a question on reserves and resources. You still have fairly substantial indicated resources at Balmitos. You know, what are the opportunities to have some of those um, resources sort of converted into into reserves? And and do you see the, the mine life at Balmitos sort of extending well into to next year?
2: this point? Uh, yeah, Bola Nidos is a bit different than Guanasvi because the uh, the main area we're mining is underneath a village of, of uh, La Luz, which really uh, prevents us from being able to drill from surface. Uh, so uh, almost all of our drilling in use recent years uh, of the La Luz vein system has been from underground and of course that then It's a cost-reward exercise to see how far ahead we want to drill. Can we convert indicated resources uh, to reserves? Uh, Certainly to some degree, Um, but we typically run a one-year reserve envelope and an additional couple of years of resources. And I don't think that's going to change just because of the constraints of drilling ahead of the reserve envelope. Um, Metal pricing could have some beneficial Impact on conversion of resources to reserves as well.
4: Can you remind me what's the budget for Balonitos in terms of exploration this year? Uh,
5: it's two and a quarter, two million and two hundred fifty thousand for Brownfields exploration this year.
2: Okay, great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your questions.
0: The next question comes from Lucas Pipes with B Riley. Please go ahead.
6: Hey, good um, morning, everyone, and uh, well well done on the quarter. Congratulations there. Uh, Thanks. Joe Joe asked most of my questions earlier, but uh, I'll I'll, I'll, uh, add add some follow-up questions. Uh, First, on the purchased ore, uh, can you remind us how we should think about margins uh, on that business? Thank you.
5: Yeah, from a margin standpoint, we look to uh, we pay about 60% of the value uh, of that ore, and ultimately, when it's all said and done, we share about 35 to 40% with the processing costs and royalties that get put in place. Um, Ultimately, it's about 10. Last year, we were closer to 11%. Total production came from told ore, which is the highest we've historically ever been. Uh, If you go back through the last 10 years, we've Approximately about six percent of our throughputs through told ore. So, at current prices, I would imagine we're going to be closer to ten percent again this year, uh, and and generally follow the same formula from a purchase standpoint uh, of shooting for that forty percent profit margin from it.
6: Very helpful. Very helpful. I I appreciate that detail. And then, uh, second follow-up question, just on, on Chile, uh, Brad. You, you mentioned how uh, you, you know you like uh, you, you like being there. What, what's kind of the priority in terms of allocating capital towards that region and, and uh, very high level? Kind of what what are some of the catalysts we might be looking forward to when it comes to uh, your Chile opportunities? Thank you.
2: Uh, thanks, uh, Lucas. Uh... We've been in Chile for, I think, eight years. Uh, we've generally run half million to one and a half million dollar annual budgets. So we've actually done a pretty significant investment to acquire, explore, and prepare for drilling our three projects. Uh, we're currently drilling one of them, the Paloma project in the far north of Chile is a arguably five million ounce gold equivalent high sulfidation epithermal target, so open-pit Uh, potentially heat bleach. Um, But early days yet. We just started drilling it last year and we hope to have some results here in the next month or two. Um, We're um, probably going to partner our copper-rich project. Cerro Marquez is a copper-gold porphyry. Again, we've spent several years and several million dollars grooming it Uh, It's drill-ready. And uh, we've had a lot of expressions of interest from copper majors, so uh, we've signed some confidentiality agreements, and our preference is to bring on a partner at Cerro Marquez, which leaves our third project, AIDA. And AIDA is our extension of the Bolivian Silver Belt down into northernmost, Chile. Um, And, uh, again, it's drill-ready. It's a massive alteration zone with uh, very strong indications of uh, open-pit silver. Um, we don't have the drill permit yet, we expect it late this year and it would lead to a drill program at AIDA either uh, this year or next year. So we really like Northern Chile. We focused on world-class prospects when we acquired these things during the bear market. Uh, we're not done yet. We'll keep continue to try and grow that pipeline and the whole goal of, of our Chilean um, exposure is to uh, get into uh, a discovery that has world-class potential and, ultimately, to add it to the development pipeline.
6: This is very helpful, caller. I appreciate all the detail and uh, continue. Best of luck. Thank you.
2: Thanks.
0: Once again, if you have a question, please press star, then one. The next question comes from Henry Westender, a private investor. Please go ahead.
2: Well, gentlemen, you seem to have had a very, very good fourth quarter, and uh, that uh, strikes me that the future in 2021 and beyond uh,
4: could be very substantial. And without pushing the envelope too far, uh, could you comment on uh, 2021?
2: Uh, In terms of our public guidance, we've guided... Uh, Our production to be uh, slightly higher than last year, so I think uh, 6.1 to 7.1 million ounces of silver equivalent production forecasted this year. Obviously uh, the performance in Q4 with the lower costs and higher metal prices is uh, a pretty good guide for how we're going to do financially this year. We don't provide financial Mm -hmm. guidance, but Q4 is certainly a good indicator. You
4: provided a little when you said you're going to use up the uh, tax loss carry forward in
2: Mexico this year, Uh, would you say you're going to use it up very, very safely, just about use it up, or is it dicey? Uh,
5: Using up those loss carry forwards, uh, it's just a function of production and what we've used historically from a cost standpoint. So... Uh we have multiple entities in, in Mexico and at Guanajuato. from two thousand sixteen to twenty nineteen we had challenges financially and we accumulated those lost mm-hmm. carry forwards and hopefully over like I say the next sixteen months uh we eat through those lost carry forwards.
4: Excellent, excellent. For what it's worth, I've been with you since two thousand and three. Up and down. And I think we're going up again.
2: Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for your questions.
0: The next question comes from Rahim Mama with Arcadia Economics. Please go ahead.
2: Um, hi guys. Thank you for having me. Uh congratulations on a great quarter 4. Um my question has to do around uh, has to do with the developments that uh arose during quarter 4 um and mostly quarter 1 um specifically with the silver squeeze and the manipulation of the price of silver on the Comex. My question is, um, does Endeavor have, you know, any strategic plan to deal with this, to combat the manipulation? An idea I've heard is withholding 5% of um, production.
3: Uh, I just have, you know, I just want to hear your answers around that and, um, you know, the future concerning that.
2: Well, thank you for your question. Um, I guess I've got two different answers because there's really two different issues here. With regard to our sales strategy and whether we withhold or accelerate silver sales, um, that's typically a short-term decision based on our short-term view on the direction of the silver price. And we have in the past, for instance, when we felt that the silver price was rising, Um, held back our sales, for instance, most recently last September. We built up a finished goods inventory because of the crash in the silver price late September in the presumption that uh, silver would bounce back in Q4, which it did with a bang. And we were able to sell that accumulated inventory and make extra profit on it. So we do this from time to time. It's a sales strategy. Um, With regard to the uh, infamous uh, silver short squeeze. Um, you know, I have a lot to say on it and I actually posted an Ask the CEO comment on our website a few weeks ago, so you're welcome to go and read that. But my view on this is perhaps a bit different than than most. I don't think it was a silver squeeze. I think it was a classic pump and dump by some knowledgeable investors who did purchased $35 call options on silver before posting on Reddit. Those options on the Tuesday before the Reddit posting were 35 cents, 30 to 35 cents, and on the following Monday after promoting it for 3 days, those options were worth $1.65. So, I think some smart investors made a lot of money on that uh, very short-term pump and dump. I don't think it was a squeeze at all. Secondly, it's very difficult to squeeze silver because banks are generally agnostic to the silver price. What I mean by that is that they're generally neither long nor short. Uh, Or, more accurately, they're long physical, sitting in vaults, and they're short paper. And, you know, banks um, using fractional banking do lend out their assets. If you run down to the local branch, your cash is being lent out uh, several times. Uh, and uh, that is probably the case in silver, but it's not manipulation. It's a—it's simply a function of what banks do. The—the uh, the, and to be honest, uh, if investors were to try and squeeze silver and buy physical, buy the ETF, buy the call options, uh, what's a bank going to do? They're sitting on physical, so um, they're the ones who are actually going to make money at higher prices, and they can roll out of like they're typically hedging their silver, right? They uh, and. Uh, It doesn't cost them anything to roll out of uh, the short position and set it higher and roll out of it and set it Mm -hmm. higher and they could do that all the way up to $1,000 silver. So I I don't think um, there is a mother of all squeezes to be had in silver. I think it's a function, by the way, and this is my last comment on this. Silver amongst all the metals traded in the options and futures market is different. Why is it different? Because of all the common metals. It's the only one that is a byproduct of other mines. It's a byproduct of copper mines, lead zinc mines, gold mines. And those big diversified global producers of copper, lead zinc, and gold typically sell forward their silver, lock in the revenue stream for their byproduct, so they are unhedged on their primary products. What that means is that silver, amongst all the metals, has a massively higher uh, derivative book compared to the other metals and compared to physical. And that's because diversified miners sell forward their silver. Who buys it? The banks enter into those forward contracts. So now they have not only physical, they have a commitment to buy more physical. And because they're agnostic, they balance that that long commitment with a derivative short. And that's the structure of the silver market. So I think it's very, very challenging to try and squeeze something like silver, because the the main uh, beneficiaries of higher silver prices would be the bankers and the miners. Okay, um, so kind of going off that, this is my last question, thank you for your answer. What is your projection for silver in 2021? <laughs> Crystal ball, well, <clears throat> I'm not shy when it comes to uh, forecasting internally, but I rarely do it externally. Uh, We obviously think that there's a silver bull market well underway, precious metal market well underway. It's probably got years to run. I say that for two reasons. In the case of precious metals, primarily gold, um, there's a whole backdrop of uh, record low interest rates, massive government intervention, uh, no change in the Fed view for at least two more years, maybe three uh, so the the fundamentals underlying a higher uh, gold price and therefore a higher silver price are very strong. Uh, but silver again is not just a precious metal; it's an industrial metal, and the industrial side of silver is really taking off. You know, s- silver is a green metal. Um, you can't have an electronics industry without silver. You can't have solar photovoltaic power without silver. You can't have um, electric vehicles without silver. You can't have 5G technology, telephonics, without silver. And I think there is an emerging appreciation, finally, amongst generalist investors that silver is a go-to metal in a green economy. Okay. Thank you very much for your answer. Thanks for your questions.
0: This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Bradford Cook, the CEO, for any closing remarks.
2: Well, thank you, Operator, and thanks all for listening in today. Um, Obviously, uh, this was a a great year. 2020 was a great year for us, very satisfying after some challenging years. Uh, Q4 was a great way to finish the year, and I think it's a, a good guide to how we expect to do in 2021. Thanks again. Stay tuned.
0: This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day.